It was about 30 years ago when I met a woman at one of my parishes who was um, in her mid-90s, and she was uh, not only one of the most joyful people that I had ever met in my life, she had such a simple and powerful spirituality. And I used to stop by and visit with her. Uh, she was, uh, her mind was just sharp as a tack. Her late husband was, uh, held all of the shot put records at Texas A&M University in the 1920s. And uh, she thought that the, the movie uh, Chariots of Fire was the great movie because her husband actually was at the 1924 Olympics in Paris. <laughs> so it, it meant a lot to her. But she, she had joy and she had a strong faith. And at, at one time she uh, took me back to a little courtyard she had at the back of her apartment. It was really just sort of a sun, sun porch. And she said, uh, you know, Father Steve, this is where I meet with Jesus every morning. And she was so sincere about it. She said, I, I come and I fix my tea and I come to this porch and I just talk to Jesus. And I thought that was wonderful. And then she said, and he talks to me too. Now, back then as a young priest, and as a former investigative newspaper reporter, when I would hear people saying that uh, God spoke to them, I always wanted to know, was it a male voice or was it a female voice? Was it high-pitched, low-pitched? Was it in English? Was it in Hebrew? Was it in Aramaic? And I, I really very rarely gave people that type of third-degree questioning, but uh, I was curious. But she was serious. She would go in the mornings, she would take her prayer list and her Bible, and she would go sit on her sun porch with Jesus. And she believed strongly in her heart that not only was He there, but He spoke to her, directly to her. And I let her talk a little while, and what she did... And this was a lesson for me. And now this is a lesson for you. To be reminded, she would take her Bible and she would open it up and she would read out loud. In the Gospels, she'd start with Matthew and go to Mark and Luke and John. She would read out loud because she believed with all her heart that those words were directed to her personally right then. And here's how she explained it. She said, well, well Father, the, the Bible, the words are forever, right? I said, well, of course they're forever. Well, does forever include right now? And of course it does. So she could read the same lesson we heard this morning from the Gospel where Jesus, in the first words He's recorded to have said, the beginning of the gospel, she would believe and did believe that those words were directed right at her. So when Jesus said, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent 
and believe the good news. Those words were directed at her. And in a mysterious way that I don't understand, she believed, as I do too now, that the words she spoke, that the words were the words of God that she then heard. So she would speak the words from Scripture out, and they, she would hear them, and they were God's Word. And so Jesus really was speaking to her. She had no problem believing that when Jesus, for example, in our Gospel today, at the second part of it, when He was walking along the Sea of Galilee, and He saw Peter and Andrew mending their nets in the boat, and said, come, follow me, and I will teach you to become fishers of men. And then walking along a little further, he saw James and John, the son of Zebedee, said the same thing, come, follow me. And they did. They all did, all four of them. But James and John left their poor old dad in the boat with his hired servants, and they left to follow Jesus. She had no problem in believing that when Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James and John, and she read those words out loud, when they came back to her, Jesus was calling her. And He was. And He's calling us. That's why we read the Gospel out loud. Jesus still speaks to us. God's Word is eternal. It's forever. And that includes now. This sacred text is not locked away in an old book somewhere with moldering pages. It is alive. When we speak it, it has power for us. And so when Jesus says to us this morning, the time has come. Now remember, John the Baptist talked about the one who was coming. John was pointing to the future. Indeed, all of the Hebrew prophets going back 800 years said there's one who is coming. The time is coming. The time will come. And Jesus shows up and says, the time has come. And so, His call to His apostles is His call to us. And it's new every day. And so this sweet woman, she, I was thinking about her on the way over here, she had a knee replacement surgery uh, at the age of 95. At 95. And she was just so excited to get a new knee. When I saw her in the hospital, she said, oh, Father, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And I said, what do you mean? She said, this little button right here, when I want to take a little nap, I just push this button. <laughs> So I wish I had one of those too. <laughs> but that was her. She lived in the moment. And of course, the moment, as we get older, the moments get a little more painful. I posted a picture on one of my social media pages of uh, Bob Keeshan, uh, Captain Kangaroo. And I said, if you remember this picture, your joints hurt in the morning. And do. But she lived in the moment. Jesus calls us to live in the moment. That includes, in particular, this moment. He's just called to us again. You're my disciples. 
I've called you by name. You belong to me, Jesus said. And his word to us is, now is the time. Now is the time. The kingdom is at hand. So repent and believe the good news. So the first thing we do is we hear his voice. He's called us to repent. That means to turn away from our sins. It doesn't mean just to take his call and go straight out without getting rid of the baggage we have. We cast off the old, even yesterday's old or this morning's old. We need to get rid of the things that we do that we know are weighing us and others down. You know, including you know, when we commute in the morning and drive through the wonderful Houston traffic. All of them ganging up on us trying to get the best of us. No, they're not. They're not even thinking about us at all. And we find ourselves getting angrier and angrier and angrier. You know, when people come to me, and I, I think I mentioned this yesterday in a talk I gave to the women's group, and when people come to confession and say that they're just angry all the time. Angry! I always say, who are you angry at? Is it their free-floating anger in the world? Yes. And that free-floating anger that just hovers around like the prince of the air, the prince of darkness? Yes! We can take anger from him. And sometimes we don't even know what we're angry at. Usually we're angry at ourselves. You know, we have forgiven others, but we can't forgive ourselves. We're angry. Or we're angry at God. We believe that God hasn't treated us in the way we deserve to be treated. And I'm glad He hasn't done that. Because He treats us much better than we deserve to be treated. He loves us. And He calls to us, now is the time to cast off the sinful, broken stuff and to press forward. Now. And now is the time to do that. You know, I had a, a city editor in, in Fort Worth when I was a beginning newspaper reporter who was legendary for her insistence that every day in the news business we should have an overpowering sense of urgency about the news. You didn't go cover the news and say, well, I'll get around to, I'll get around to writing the story later. No, you didn't. Not with Mary, you didn't. You wrote it then. Now was the time. Today is the day. The Associated Press used to have a saying that said, there is a deadline every minute. Every minute. And so there is for us. Jesus tells us, now is the time. And so He has things for us to do for Him. Called Peter and Andrew and James and John, and He discipled them to carry His love and His mercy and His compassion into the world. To let people know that there is a better way than the insanity that the world gives us. A much better way. And the time has come. That always raises the question. And I've been in my school career in four different seminaries. And we always would argue about what time is. The word that's used in this passage that uh, Mark uses, it's the same in Matthew, 
is, the Greek word is kairos, which means the fullness of time, God's time. There's another Greek word for time called chronos, which is chronological time. And so all of my classmates and my professors said, well, Jesus used the word kairos there. That's significant. And I would always say, old investigative reporter and editor, Jesus didn't speak Greek. Aramaic, probably. Hebrew, maybe. So he didn't use the word kairos. And I did a, little, a search this past week. Of all the Hebrew ways of describing time, there are about ten different ways in the biblical Hebrew that time is mentioned. And there's one way that I think Jesus probably used. Instead of kairos, he didn't use kairos. The Hebrew phrase is et ratzon. Et ratzon means time for meeting with God. So when he says the time is now, he's meaning now's the time to meet with God. And we're here. We're meeting with Him. He with us. We answered the call to be here. And so He has things to give us today. Giving us His love and His mercy and His grace, His compassion, His kindness, His gentleness, and His body, blood, soul, and divinity. Freely giving them to us so that we can today, now, the time is now, take those out with us and make a difference in the world by sharing the joy and the mercy and the compassion of the Lord with those around us. Today, because the time is now at Ratzon. This is the time where we meet with God and take Him, him with us. And He accompanies us everywhere we go, every minute of every day, all the time, no matter what. He's with us. And so He gives us what we need to make a difference to share with others now, because the time is now. You know, and there's a, a story that was making the rounds when I was in uh, the Episcopal Seminary in the early 80s that uh, I never could figure out where this came from. Some clever person made it up, but it has a good point to it. It says that after Jesus ascended into heaven, he died on the cross, he rose on Easter Sunday, spent 40 days teaching his apostles about the kingdom, then on Ascension Thursday, ascended into heaven. And the story said that when Jesus got to heaven, the, the angels all gathered around him and said, Lord, you suffered so much for these people, but your message is life-giving. How, Lord, do you want this message to perpetuate itself throughout time? How is that message going to go to others? And Jesus' reply in this little story was, I picked a few good people to spread the word. And the angels, not Peter and Andrew, not, not the fishermen, surely, not Mary Magdalene, Lord, with all due respect, what is, what is your backup plan when they don't do this? And Jesus said in the little story, there is no backup plan. I pick who I pick. You are His plan. The worlds you go into as you leave here, no one else does. You have a singular trajectory through life. And Jesus needs you now to make a difference 
in the world that you inhabit. As the Reverend Jesse Jackson used to say, if not me, then who? If not now, then when? If not this, then what? This is our message. That God is love and in Him there is no darkness at all. And He inhabits me and the light you see shining through me is His light, not mine. I'm not here to judge because He isn't judging. I'm here to pass on His love and mercy and compassion. And we do all of those things I just said without saying any words. We let our actions show the Lord that we serve. And He gives us all that we need to do that. So my, my dear parishioner back in the early 1990s had no problem in believing that Jesus was calling her today to share his word today. Because that's what he says, now is the time. And you know what? Now is the time.